in the recesses of the Old Testament lies the story of Ruth. One scholar said, it's the most beautiful short story ever written. But how can a 3,000 year old book be relevant today? Ruth speaks into our cultural confusion surrounding gender and our increasing ethnic divide. It's an improbable and compelling love story, but ultimately, Ruth is a story of redemption. How God's sovereign grace redeems his people in and even through their suffering. Ruth reminds us that God still redeems people who are once far from him. His sovereign grace still redeems our suffering for our good and his glory. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited to be here for post-sermon reflections. Uh, I hope that I am in your car on a Monday morning and you're getting to be encouraged by some awesome believers who are dissecting um, a sermon, but more than that, hopefully dissecting what God's heart is for us. And so I am here with two godly men I really respect. Um, I'm here with Liam and with Mark. Um, and these are men that that I look up to in a lot of ways and, and have seen really walk um, in holiness and choose Jesus. And so today we're going to be talking about Ruth 4 and really uh, framing a conversation about biblical masculinity. And so I'm excited for them to introduce themselves and then we're going to hop in. So Mark, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm Mark Hall, and I am an elder here at uh, Fellowship Cross Point, almost at Capital City. And uh, the best of us. <laughs> and I'm just here to uh, just revel in what we heard today from the pulpit. Yo, my name is Liam. I am a member here at Cross Point. I help serve with the youth, set up communion, do stuff with Go Team, and uh, on on the youth we have an event. April 15th, if you are 6th to 12th grade and you are listening to this podcast, nice. Also, you should come play Survivors Can Break Tram if you are connected to a youth. Send them our way. Mark, do you guys have an event that weekend with the men's ministry? Yes, we do. Uh, the men's retreat is on April 14th and 15th. We're going to have three different speakers. We're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff together. We're going to be being that iron that sharpens iron. We're going to be uh, getting closer to the men. Uh as a group, and we're going to be doing a service project also. So it's very exciting. I'm really looking forward to the three speakers we have, and it's going to be a blessed time, April 14th and 15th. That is awesome. You can register for that on our website. It's fellowshipcrosspoint.org. And we hope you check us out. If you're not connected to a local church, we hope that you get connected to a local church. Uh, we are an extension of the local church, and we're, yeah, so grateful. So that's right. We got youth stuff, we got men's ministry. We got, oh, we got all yeah. kinds of ministries. And so I want to really turn up the heat on this conversation because it's a it's a tough one. This was mm-hmm. a tough sermon, um, not because it wasn't good truth, but it was hard truth. hard truth. And that's important. And so I want to to start this conversation asking Mark, what is a godly man and what do we learn from Ruth for about godly manhood? Well, I just want to start with in a world that can't tell us what a real man is, let alone what a real man does, let alone what a real godly man does. Our young men are floundering in this world today, not just in our community, but in the world. And basically, this message was about redemption, and it was about a man who is willing to redeem. He's willing to take on the burden. He's willing to uh, even suffer humiliation in the name of doing what's right. And uh as you go through the story of Ruth, you just start to respect Boaz more and more and more. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking on how men don't know 
what they're supposed to be. I can certainly resonate with that. Uh, for people who listen to the podcast, I am relatively young-ish, 29. Um, thank, but you for, I, thank you for that context. <laughs> yeah. So I really enjoy podcasts. And a while back, I was looking for podcasts specifically about godly men, and I did not find them. I found Christian podcasts, and then I found podcasts for men, but not godly men. And I remember listening to them and being like, I'm not going to be influenced by this stuff, really, because they're such fools that won't influence me. And one time I was listening to one, they said, if only there were like a system, a worldview where women were valuable and could partner with men, but men were still the leaders and still had purpose and strength, but women and men could partner together to a common goal. And they, everyone in the podcast, these are leaders in this, these podcast world. They were like, yeah, if only like that, that could never exist though. There are too many obstacles. And I thought, oh my goodness, I got to stop listening to this stuff. This is, these are fools. And, um, that's what we see in our world because our world's wisdom is foolishness. But Boaz lives this out. We can compare Boaz to the other gentleman who's supposed to be the redeemer. Right. What do you what do you see there in that? Well, I see a man who's only willing to accept the things that will benefit him. I see a man who is not willing to step out and suffer humiliation because we know uh, Ruth was a Moabitess and she was an, uh, an other ethnically, and uh, she was a widow and. Uh, you know, she came from a incestuous background that would be humiliating also. And so we see the difference between them is a guy who will suffer the other things and a man who, as the other redeemer other than uh, Boaz, he is not willing to suffer or give anything to this situation. Yeah, I really want to talk about how Boaz, more than he was willing to suffer, he was – he acted – there's a few things. Do you want to hit obedience or selflessness first? Obedience, that'd be. All right. Yeah. So. Can we frame where we are in the conversation yes. real quick? So I, I want to give us like a fly over of what is happening in the story. Just because I think you guys are, you guys are ready to hop in. I think it's so, it's going to be so good. But if anyone didn't get to hear this sermon, we're at the point where Ruth had just gone to Boaz saying like, marry me. Mm -hmm. I'm about this. And Boaz was like, I'm also about this, but bound to go wow, wow. But for for the sake of godliness and her reputation, they both said, Yeah, no, I'm, we're not going to do this right now. I'm going to do this correctly. And so we we fast forward exactly one day, and Boaz now goes out, gets the elders, and he knows that there's a redeemer before him. Yes. And so he honors the fact there's a redeemer before him, and that's kind of where we are in this conversation. There's two redeemers, mm -hmm. one willing, wants to marry, and then this guy who's first in line. So I'm going to kick that back to you, Liam. Yeah, there are a lot of ways we can go with that, but first one, I mean, mm. okay, so let's talk a bit of obedience. Boaz is a godly man. He's been watching this girl, watching, I don't know, whatever, for seemingly months. He wants to be with this girl. This girl clearly wants to be with him. Then she's like, all right, let's do this. And he's like, first, I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm, and then in that process, I am allowing a different guy who I would know. I would know this gentleman and know that he's not a great guy. And I am saying, this girl I want to be with, I'll let her be with this not great guy out of obedience. And I'll let God handle the outcome. Right. And that's, that's how it's supposed to be played. So that's uh, – what's the thing people say? Means justify the ends. And that's just, that's just foolishness because in Christ, the, 
ends, the, oh, they, they say the ends justify the means. Yeah. We say the means justify the ends. Yeah. Um, but Mark, how did Boaz, what about Boaz's selflessness? What can we see in that? We can see that Boaz, first of all, was willing to do anything and everything within his power to redeem Ruth and Naomi, by the way. And he was willing to suffer these things that he had to know was, were coming his way. So he was able to just use that spiritual strength that God had given him and say, none of this matters other than the redemption of these two women. And uh, that's why I respect most because, like I said, the other man wasn't willing. And if you notice, Boaz, was he was being obedient, but he was also being very timely. He said, hey, the land, the land. And then when the other guy says, oh, I'll do it, I will do it, and I looked that up, and that I was emphatic. The pronoun is emphatic in the original, and it's like, I, I will do it. And then all Boaz had to do was tell him the rest of the story. Yeah. Well, you got to also acquire Ruth or redeem her, buy her, marry her. He came in with a plan. Yeah, he came in with a plan. So just like Paul would use his political leverage when mm -hmm. he was beaten publicly, mm. and then everybody said, oh, man, you're a Roman, right? Why don't you just leave quietly, right? Why don't you leave quietly? And Paul says, no, you beat me publicly, and now you're going to release me publicly. Wow. So that's that's where my mind went on that, what I thought about uh, this whole situation. One thing we see with Paul and we see it with Christ, Boaz, um, a little bit less with Boaz, honestly, because we only get a portion of his life, is he had prepared himself for this moment. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear from gentlemen, and I'm sure ladies, but my community, gentlemen, like, hey, bro, if you need me, like, I'll be there for you. Whenever whenever stuff goes down, like, I'll show up. And for some of my friends, I have told them straight to their face, no, you won't. Like, I know you, bro. Mm -hmm. Because when in other times you have prepared yourself to, to not show up, while other gentlemen have prepared themselves. They've prepared themselves for courage. They've prepared themselves to live sacrificially. Mm, so okay. if you think that just all of a sudden you're going to whip this out and have this hero moment, that's straight foolishness. And people, like there's this weird, this is a classic misconception of the world, that they think if I live sacrificially, I will be not be able to sacrifice later in life. In the same way, they're like, if I give generously, I won't be able to give generously later because I'll have less money. But that's that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. What works is you give generously now, so you prepare yourself to give generously later. Right. Yeah. yeah. But so also, big. he was prepared by his family, too. I mean, his uh, great-grandmother, his grandmother was Rahab the harlot. And we know that uh, when he was raised, um, it had to be in a situation where Rahab was definitely an other. And she was yeah. looked down on. And throughout his life of growing up, we know that he was probably told, hey, being obedient and being a true Israelite, like being a redeemer, doing what's right, following God, right? He was prepared, and it just – it says a lot about how he was like, hey, yeah, Bo or, uh, Ruth is an ethnic other, but I'm not going to worry about that. My mother was an other too. And so it pre they prepared him as he was growing up. Mm. And then as he went through his, I guess, adult life, you could say, he was preparing himself also, like you were talking about. Yeah, and what we see with that in him and then with Jesse and David going forward is these godly women leading and creating godly men. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, and I think, so 
if I'm hearing you guys correctly, some of the things that we're seeing in godly men is men who are obedient mm-hmm. even when it costs them something. Yes. Men who are selfless, but not just selfless in the moment where it counts. They're selfless in the moments preparing for the moment that really counts. Yes. And so I want to hear like what are some convictions that you feel like were brought up in the midst of this conversation that really maybe convictions that you have for yourself, convictions that you may have for your generation or convictions you may have for maybe some of your friends that you're like, you're hearing this and you're like, man, my heart is breaking for people to understand this. Hmm. That's a, that's a tricky one. Cause it kind of like goes in between the two stories, the, the story in Ruth and then the Bob Meisner story. And he was the one that, uh, had the wife who cheated on him and then yeah. he found out she was pregnant. And then he decided through the help of other men that he was going to honor his wife, that he was going to forgive her. And not only that, he was going to hit, going to go ahead and take this child that she was pregnant with. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned that, but she was pregnant and uh, he said, no, I'm going to take this child as my own. Yeah. And I just remember like I was thinking in the Boaz and this other redeemer part of this story, I was going to be like, I'm Boaz. I'm I'm good. But then I saw that when it came to the idea of adoption and on the surface of it, I thought, well, adoption would be great. I'll I'll let somebody else adopt the baby. Yeah. But I don't really have to take the responsibility myself. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, my goodness. He's going to adopt this child. And that was the furthest thing from my mind. And I fell under heavy conviction because I was like, hey, the right thing to do is just let the child go ahead and be adopted by a loving family. But my burden is lifted. I wasn't going to be a burden bearer. I'm a burden passer at that point. And I fell under heavy conviction when I put myself in the whole Boaz and other Redeemer story, I'm going to be Boaz. Mm. And then when it came to Bob Miser's story, no, I'm going to be the other guy, not Bob Miser. So I fell under heavy conviction about that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So in the Boaz story and Ruth story, Boaz goes to this guy and he says, hey, you can get this land. And the guy's like, nice. And he's like, but you have to marry this girl and then you have to bear a child with her and that child will inherit the land. And he's like, whoa, 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 hard pass. Right, right. And in this story with uh, Bob Meisner, he uh, he is comes to the adoption point and then he's going to ha- he's going to have this child. And to me, with sorry, with the story of Ruth, the blessing is not the land. The blessing is Ruth. That's the real blessing that Boaz is seeing. Absolutely. And he that's he's correct. But in the Bob Nice story, what I see is when they came to the adoption, I was like, of course, at least I get some great benefit out of this because now I get a, I get another son. Mm-hmm. But I would have already been out if it were me. Yeah. So I would have already bounced. And then I wouldn't get the blessing of raising the son. And if when she told me that she had, uh, had, I don't know, adulterated, is that the word? Committed adultery. Committed adultery. <laughs> um, I uh, would maybe not have responded in the most Christ-like way. Mm-hmm. In then I'd be a similar reason why Moses is Moses. Ha- Jesus is like Moses gave you guys this because you couldn't handle it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, then I would have already been out. And then when she said, I have a son, and in the context of the story, she actually wants to get rid of the son, um, I wouldn't have had any say in that. And then I've lost out on this relationship, not only with this son, but I would have hurt all the relationship with my other kids. Mm-hmm. So my reflex, my uh, human 
worldly reflex yep. would have made it so I lost out on all these blessings that God yeah. would have had to offer me yeah. if I was willing to go through the suffering in that with her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, being like, sorry, and being a, a conduit of redemption. Mm-hmm. When I look at Boaz and when I look at Bob Miser, I see men who stepped up to the plate to say, I want God's redemption to yeah. flow through me. Amen. Yeah, that's great. And I just always think about like, I always live by this thing where I, I say we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. Nice. And so I'm looking at this and I'm looking at how confident I was. It's For me, it's easy to be the Boaz in the story. Yeah, I can do that easy. But then when it came down to more practical, like in time living, I'm like, I'm not Bob Meisner. I can't, I, I'm ready to pass. I'm ready to you like slack on this and not allow God to work through me. I'm glad he had godly men. And I know I would have godly men in this church from Pastor Brennan on down, other elders that yeah. would call me into accountability. What do you mean you're going to give this baby up? Is that really what you want to do? Yeah, let's hit that because we talked about how other men like Christ or Paul had prepared for righteousness. So when the moment came, they were prepared. And if this moment came, I expressed I would not in this moment be prepared. But Bob Meisner had prepared, maybe not for that situation, but he had prepared because he had surrounded himself yeah. with a council of men yes. that could speak into his life, and he had prepared himself to hear what they had to say. Amen. Um, so can we talk a little bit about how we as men can prepare ourselves for those moments? How can we prepare ourselves for righteousness, selflessness, living courageously? Me? Uh, yeah, yeah, get it, brother. Um, I'm just thinking of, like, I always live by that motto, if you can't run with the footman, you're not going to run with the horseman. Okay? So... Old school. You have to... Yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, it, they, they say if you can't handle the small, everyday, mundane situations, the basically the gist of that phrase, of that verse, and I can't even uh, give it a, uh, an address right now, but I still live by it. Um, but if you don't know how to handle the everyday mundane situations and handle them in a godly way, how are you going to do when the big ball drops and then you get crushed by it? You make the wrong decisions. You react in an ungodly way. Yeah. How do you personally in your life, because I, you are a father figure to me in a lot of ways in this church, and you are someone that I see and I do look up to as loving his wife, loving his kids, showing up, doing the things that people don't want to do. What were the what were the little things that you've done in your life that prepared you for showing up in the big ways when there's real pain, real challenge? Right. When you know, when you're raising your kids, and really if I'm looking at it, you think in the little things I could have done so much better for my kids. I could have done so much better and continue to be able to so much better for my wife and my kids, my family, the men at work and all that. But if like when you're presented with a situation and I'm very much a knee jerk type reactionary, I have to, I've had to allow God to get me to a point where I reflect in an instant and say, I'm not going to react like this. I'm not going to be Mark. I'm going to react with the love of Christ, mm-hmm. or I'm going to react with the love of God. I'm not going to react as I would as the normal, unsaved, unredeemed Mark Hall. So in those little moments, like when your kids are aggravating you, or the guys at work are, are telling off, off-color jokes, and they're sometimes doing it just to get under your skin, if I can't take a deep breath and love them 
the way they need to be loved, whether it's the guys on the job or my family or anybody in this church, I am not going to be able to deal with the bigger things. Like, uh, I don't know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but you're, you have to prepare with the small stuff to actually be ready to handle the big stuff is what I'm trying to say. So you ground yourself in truth. Yes. When the, when the moments come, yeah. and, and you ground yourself in truth, and I know this, Mark Hole is a man of the word. He loves he loves scripture. He's he's made it his mission to be a student of scripture. You should see his Bible journal. You should see it's intense. It's super <laughs> awesome. I uh, wish we had a camera confusing. in here. It's confusing. But, I know um, he grounds himself in truth and he takes him in and says, "What would how would Jesus respond right. to my children who are yelling at me or these men who are provoking me?" Right. And so, Liam, I want to hear kind of the same thing for you as a young man. How are you preparing right now? And I know you've experienced challenge and suffering in your life. And so I know you've had moments where you've had to show up. And so just tell me a little bit about that. There are a hundred ways to take this. But one thing I think of quickly is, I want to say it's Thessalonians, where they're talking to slaves. And it's saying, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability. And this is to slaves. So I'll meet people and who are doing jobs they may not be interested in doing. And they're like, well, this isn't that important to me, so I'm not going to give this my best effort Mm -hmm. because this isn't actually that valuable. And it's like, well, when you want to do something valuable, you better – you should have gone full speed now because you won't won't be able to go full speed later talking about your running references. If you practice jogging all the time and then you go to sprint, you actually can't do it. Mm -hmm. You've lost the ability to sprint because you only jogged. So these people, when they show up to work and they're like, well, I'm, I'm working for my boss. No, you're working for Christ. You're working for your brother beside you to see how you're working in Christ. You told them you're a Christian and you work like that? I'd rather you told them nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tough. And then behind closed doors, um, when you're like every thought you have, audit your thoughts. So I, we audit our bank accounts. I mean, most people, hopefully you do this. You should do this. Good practice. Um, I, you try to audit your thoughts at the end of the day. What, is, what was I thinking about today? Were these thoughts bringing me closer to Christ or not? And if it's a not, well, they weren't leading me away from Christ. Well, they weren't bringing you closer to Christ. Mm-hmm. So you need to audit these thoughts because when, when you're really busy and you're overwhelmed by the moment, what do you do? And I have one more real weird one I do. So this is kind of I'm obscure. here for it. So I remember all my dreams every night, and it is exhausting. That sounds exhausting. It is. I go on adventures and quests, and sometimes I'm laying down in bed. I'm like, man, I just want to rest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I – sometimes I have stressful dreams, and in them I have different things I can do. Now, I, I'm in a dream, so often they'll kill me and I'll get powers or whatever. But sometimes I, I pray to God, and, and I'll be like, God, save me in this moment. And when I wake up, I audit my dream. And I say, did I pray? When things went down, did right. I turn to Christ yeah. or did I turn to something else? Yeah. And um, that's that's a personal one for me. But, yeah, we can uh, – yeah. No, and so what I'm hearing from both of you is that godly men are men who are intentional mm-hmm. with the small things. Yes. They're intentional with their thoughts. And they're even intentional with their dreams of, of we're, we're recognizing the parts of us that stray from Christ and say, I want to respond in obedience and in genuine love and sacrifice for Jesus. Is there anything you want to add to that before we really kind of encourage godly men who maybe are starting out not knowing what it means to be godly? We don't know where to start. They don't know where to look. So any other thoughts you want to add before we, we hop into that? Well, I'm just thinking about 
um, in the small things where we we say we don't handle them properly or I don't in the small things it's not um, in my head it's not always critical I guess that's the way I could put it that that I take this to God I'll handle this God I got this God and then we say well when the big things come you know we won't handle that either but sometimes I feel like the bigger things come in our life and we think that we're handling them in a godly way but we're actually not mm. so I, I really fall under conviction about that like I when uh, Donna's uh, mother passed away I feel like I could have led her through that a lot better than I did but I thought I was being a godly man yes she's reading the book of John to her mother while she's in an induced coma and all this other stuff mm. but I really wasn't I was like feeling sorry for myself that my mother-in-law was suffering so bad and mm. and so the smaller things, if you can't consistently give God the smaller, more mundane things, then when you get into these big things and you think that you're actually handling something in a godly way and you reflect on it, you're like, man, I stunk. I like yeah. struck out on that. Yeah. It, it's a tricky, yeah. yeah. And then I'm crushed by it. Yeah. And that, and her mother's death does crush me in that way because I feel like I could have done a lot better than what I thought I was doing in real time. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a, commitment to hearing the Holy Spirit. Yes. And it's a commitment to say, you can only hear the Holy Spirit when you know his voice. You know, the kinds of things he says was always lead us to Christ that are always affirmed in his word. And so godly men are the kinds of men who in the small things submit to Jesus, listen to the Holy Spirit, yes. audit their thoughts, audit their life. Um, and so brothers who looking at yourself, looking at your friends, looking at your peers, what is an encouragement that you have? If you could give them a step one of like, if you don't know how to be godly, step one, this is a step you can take. And the second would be, what's a more generalized? So I want to hear like one practical application. And then the second would be, what's an overall encouragement that you have for men in your life or men you're interacting with? Well, I would say that number one, you have to be willing to hold others accountable and have the guts to say the hard things like Pastor Brandon was speaking to this morning. You have to take that those godly lessons that the Holy Spirit has taught you and be willing to hold others accountable no matter what their reaction is. And then on the other side of that, you have to be doing what Boaz was doing in this story. He said to the other elders there assembled, everybody that was there, hold me accountable. I'm going to do this. So you have to be willing to hold others accountable, have the guts to do that. And that is only through the working of the Holy Spirit too. Otherwise, I just walk away and say, hey, I hope you do well. And the other side of that is being willing to be held accountable, swallow your pride and take it for what it's worth. It's like the word of God being used in a practical way. And if you don't live it out, it's just knowledge, you know? So you got to be willing to be held accountable and be willing to hold others accountable. Yeah, I would say practically, the first thing I would do is find godly men and live with them. Mm -hmm. Work with them, make friendships with them, be generous to them, and exercise that with them. And see how you grow as a man and how you that shifts what you're doing, what your goals become, and how, how you interact with others that are not godly. And then uh, as an encouragement... In that, when I think of the most godly men I've seen and the like moments where they were really godly, I think of times where they were very vulnerable and people called them out for mistakes. And they admitted, like, I did wrong. Even sometimes when they didn't, like, it wasn't really their fault. They're taking the blame. Mm -hmm. And it's like these people, they're like, 
I will, I will take this burden. Christ, people talk about Christ made the church. Well, Christ sacrificed for the church. So we, we sacrifice as men. And that's, that's what manliness looks like. Yeah, I think that is so good. And yeah, I want you to know that like when godly men stand up, it blesses the world. Um, and as a woman who loves Jesus, I'm honored um, to be in fellowship with you guys and to see you guys take the responsibility that God's uniquely given you so that I can take the responsibility that God's uniquely given to me. That's right. And so I, um, I would love for Mark to pray for, for younger men. And then I would love for Liam to pray for older men. Um, because really what we're learning here is that there's a two-way responsibility. There's a responsibility for us to, to labor together, but there needs to be a willingness to labor together and to be held accountable, to take responsibility, to open our lives up to other men, to say, hey, come experience life with me. And so we're going to land this plane and we're going we're gonna to leave with, with prayer. And so thank you so much for listening. Uh, we want to just encourage you in prayer as you go on through your day. And uh, yeah, we're, we're grateful for, for your time and the time you've gifted us. Amen. Go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we could have together. Father, so many things were discussed and we could have went on and on. But I pray for the younger men. I pray that we would be able, first of all, I pray that us older guys would be willing to spend the time and the effort and the emotional upheaval even sometimes to t reach out and touch these younger men, show them that we are invested in them, just like Christ invested in them when he saved them, Father, that we would be invested in them, that we would want to see them grow in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and that we would be willing to uh, walk away when we're just laying around on the couch and we're being lazy, you know, jump up when the, the moment arises, or just be able to disciple we need to disciple these young men one-on-one. -on -one. We need to give them whatever wisdom you've imparted to us as the older guys and take these younger men and show them what the struggles are, what the victories are, and how to get there, Father, how do we can make your word an integral like uh, tapestry of our life and not just these facts that we know. Let us get the knowledge, yes, but let us live it out and have that wisdom too. So I pray that we would be willing to do that. I pray the younger men would be open to that, Father, that you would open their hearts and that they would be able to just be a part of, of your kingdom and a growing and being uh, getting more solid as they're being conformed in the image of your son. And I just pray that we would take that responsibility and I pray the young men would look forward to that opportunity in Jesus' name. King, I pray that the, not necessarily older men, but more mature Christians, when in, in you, would lead courageously, would lead willingly, would lead sacrificially, when it is difficult, when um, it costs them, when they are unprepared, when they don't know what to do, they would turn to you and lead by example in that and be willing, not resting on their success or the comforts that they may have. But saying, I, I, I cannot rest. I will rest when I am with you in eternity. But here we are here to work and give them, give them the strength to do that work. To you be the glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Really appreciate you guys. And for listeners, have an awesome rest of your week.